When I was a kid, I used to sit as close to the TV as I could, especially if there was like an important game on, and I would get so close to the TV, my parents would yell at me. They'd say, hey, back away from the TV, you're going to go blind. That's not true. You can sit as close to the TV as you want. It doesn't affect your eyesight. At, at dinner, we would be having a meal, and my parents would say, eat your carrots. Why? Well, because carrots are going to improve your nighttime vision. That's not true. Carrots have no effect on your nighttime vision whatsoever. Then if we would be driving at night and I would want to see something, I would turn on the interior light and my parents would lose their minds. Turn that off. We're going to get pulled over. It's illegal to drive with an interior light on. Have you heard this before? It's not true. I just found that out a month ago. I was like, my whole childhood filled with lies. I asked a few other people, I said, were there things that you used to believe were true when you were a kid, and then you later found out that actually wasn't true? And one person said, I was told that if I swallowed my gum, it would be there for seven years. <laughs> they said, I swallowed a whole pack of gum, and I was like, wow, I'm going to be carrying that with me for seven years. Another person said they thought if they ate watermelon seeds, that watermelons would grow in their stomach. And my wife said that when she was growing up as a little kid, she thought her teachers lived at school. They just lived there all the time. They never didn't have no life outside of school. And so she said she was really freaked out when she saw her teacher at the grocery store one time. When we're little kids, we're trying to figure out what is true. And that doesn't stop as we move into adulthood. In fact, when Jesus was standing before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, he said to Pontius Pilate, he said, I came here to testify to the truth. And Pontius Pilate looked at him and said, what is truth? We're still asking that question today. One of the reasons I think we ask that question today is because over the last few decades, it appears as Americans living in this culture, in this world, our confidence in truth has begun to erode. And I think there's many different reasons for this. I'll just give you a few. First of all, truth has become subjective. You'll hear this in how people talk. They'll say, my truth. I need to speak my truth. And you wonder if they're confusing their feelings or their opinions with truth. Because if it's my truth, well, then what happens when your truth and my truth are in conflict? Whose truth is true? Here's a second reason why I think our confidence in truth is beginning to erode. It's because we accept contradictory claims as true. So, for example, one of the comments that you'll hear kind of popularly said is all religions are the same. I mean, Islam, Christianity, different names maybe, but like same God, same basic principles. Everybody goes to heaven. It doesn't matter what you believe. But the problem with that is that Christianity and Islam teach truths that are contradictory to one another. For example, Islam believes that God is unknowable. He's so holy. He's so distant. It's impossible for a human being to know him. Christianity says that we can call God a friend. Islam doesn't believe that Jesus died on the cross, believes that Judas snuck up and took his place. Christianity says that Jesus' death on the cross is what provides our hope and our salvation. Islam says that Jesus was a prophet, and it would be blasphemous to refer to him as God or the Son of God, but Christianity says that Jesus was God in the flesh. I would love to believe that all religions are the same, except they're not, and they don't even claim to be. Here's a third reason that I've observed. I think people's confidence in truth is eroding, and it's this. There's a lack of trust 
towards the media and higher education. I was watching a video recently, and it was about a U.S. judge who had been invited to come speak at a major university. And I don't know if it was like a politics class or a government class or what it was, but he was invited to come speak, and here was the title of his talk. And I'm not making this up. The title of his talk was COVID, Guns, and Twitter. That was the message. Here's some free advice for you. If you ever get invited to speak anywhere for any amount of money, and the topic is COVID, guns, and Twitter, you should run. I would rather go to a bar in downtown Green Bay, Wisconsin, <laughs> wearing Vikings horns and doing the gritty, than I would stand in front of any audience and have to speak on COVID, guns, and Twitter. Maybe because of what the topic was, as he began to talk, he was being heckled so badly he couldn't get through his talk. And so taken aback, he called for a school administrator to come. And he said, hey, I was, I'm a guest. I was invited by you guys to come and speak here, and I, I can't get through my talk. And she began to chastise him even more. Now, the president of the university did later apologize for how this guest was treated. But it got me wondering if this is symptomatic of a deeper problem. At some universities, not all, I was at one a couple weeks ago that's not like this at all, but at some universities, it seems like activism is a higher value than education. And if you can't trust an institute of higher learning to be on a quest for truth, and if you can't trust them to be open to differing ideas as they're on that quest for truth, well, then who, who can you trust? Same is true for the media. No matter what side of the political aisle you find yourself on, I'm guessing over the last six months, there's been at least one time where you said, whoa, wait a minute. I thought they were saying this like a month ago. No, 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 that, that wasn't really what happened, or that was twisted in some way. That, that's actually not the real story. And so we're left here today at our point in history going, what is true? It's the same question Pontius Pilate asked 2,000 years ago. It might be even more relevant today. What is truth? Here's a definition of truth for you. It's that which corresponds to reality. Truth is whatever lines up with how things really are. Gravity is true, for example, not because it's my truth, but because if I fall or I jump, I'm going to fall. It corresponds to reality. It corresponds to how things really are. But this is where we get a little bit confused because there's somewhat of a movement in our culture to say that truth is whatever corresponds to how you feel. So if a person feels a certain way, they'll say, well, that's my truth. That doesn't work when you play it out in real life. Let me just give you one analogy to, to, to hopefully prove that. Let's say you and I went skydiving together. And we got up in the plane and we were about to jump and all of a sudden I realized you put on a backpack instead of a parachute. And so I say to you, whoa, 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 that's, that's not a parachute. You've got a backpack on. And you look at me and say, why are you so judgmental? Who are you to tell me how to live my life? And I'm like, whoa, I mean, you know, I'm sorry. I just, I'm a little concerned about the whole Hello Kitty thing you got going on back here. Just a little nervous about that. And you say to me, hey, I feel like it's a parachute. That's my truth. Well, good luck with your truth then. But truth doesn't correspond to how a person feels. It corresponds to reality. 
There's also a, somewhat of a movement to say that truth corresponds to popular opinion. So what should I believe about this issue? Well, let's take a poll. I mean, 51% of people believe that's a sin? Me too. And what was that? O only 49% believe? Well, I might have to change my opinion as well. But truth does not correspond to popular opinion. It doesn't correspond to how we feel. Truth corresponds to reality. And so today, I want to try to make the case that truth is objective and knowable. Objective in the sense it's outside of ourselves. It's not within. It's, it's objective. And knowable in the sense that God wants us to know the truth. He wants to communicate the truth to us. And to do that, I want to ask the same question that Pontius Pilate asked 2,000 years ago, and it's this, what is truth? First, truth is Jesus. You may be thinking, well, hold on a second, Jesus is a person. I mean, how, how can truth be a person? But, but truth isn't just a philosophy. Truth is not just an idea. Truth is embodied in a person. Look at what Jesus himself says about this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, not one of many ways you get to choose. He says, no, I'm the way, the truth. And then notice the pronoun, I. Not that is true or they is truth. I am the truth. Another time, Jesus said this. He said, if you hold to my teaching, in other words, my teaching is truth, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, he says. And what does the truth do? And the truth will set you free. Let me ask you, is there something in your life that you would like to be set free from? Maybe you say, you know what, I have these negative thoughts, these fearful thoughts, and I, I want to be free of those. Maybe there's a behavior in your life. You say, I just I want to stop losing my temper like this, and I've tried, and I'm just, I can't seem to get free. How does a person change? How does a person get free? Truth. Always truth. Nobody sins out of discipline. What I mean by that is nobody wakes up in the morning and they're like, oh, it's 7 o'clock, I'm going to look at some pornography. I don't feel like it. I don't really want to, but, you know, I need to start my day off right. People don't do that. People don't say, I just read James Clear's book on atomic habits, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to get in the habit of gossiping. Not in the habit right now, but I think if I really work hard and discipline myself, I can get there. People don't sin out of discipline. They sin because they want to feel something. Their, their flesh is leading them. They think, okay, I'm going to be happy. And here's the tricky part. For a while, they are. I mean, studies have shown you view pornography, dopamine's going to go off in your brain. It's going to feel good for at least a moment. And that's going to drift away, and you're going to be worse than where you were. But for a moment, yeah, it's true. And if you gossip about someone, you do actually feel better about yourself for a while. Here's the tricky part of lies. The most effective lies are the ones that are mostly true. The most effective lies are the ones that are somewhat true. In the 1960s began what was dubbed and labeled the sexual revolution. And we are the product of many of us of the sexual revolution. We've been living through this. We were born through this. And so as I go through some of this, some of you are going to go, oh, that's me. And so I just want to remind you on the front end of the truth of God's forgiveness and God's hope. That even if this is something that you did or happened to you, that there is hope and forgiveness available to you. 
But I think it's good to be able to step back and evaluate a little bit. You see, the sexual revolution began in the 1960s, and the primary idea was we should be able to have sex outside of marriage. Sex and marriage, that's my parents, that's Puritan, prudish, I don't want anything to do with that. We're going to separate sex from marriage. So now, instead of saying, well, you can be married and have sex, we're we're just going to kind of separate those two. Then the next step was with birth control and other means, we'll separate sex from procreation. Because before that, if you were going to have sexual intimacy, it was like, well, you could have a child. Are you ready for that? Are you responsible for that? And we said, no, 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 you don't have to worry about that. We'll just, we'll just separate sex from procreation. Then with Tinder and the hookup culture, we began to separate sex from romance and intimacy. It was thought that if you're going to do this with another person, it's romantic, it's intimate. And we said, no, 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 you can, you can just hook up. I mean, just physically, it feels good. You don't you can just one night stand. Like you don't have to have it connected to romance or to intimacy. The movement today is to separate sex from male-female categories or to separate gender from biological sex. I don't know what the next part of this, what the next iteration is, but here's what I do know. There's one question that no one seems to be asking. As author John Mark Comer points out, he says there's one question that no one seems to be asking, and it really is the most important question. And the question is this, is this making us better people? Are we more loving people? Do we have stronger families? Are we happier people? I don't have the the perfect answer, but let me just give you a few data points. You can sort of decide for yourself, of course, what you want to believe about this. But since the 1960s, happiness levels in our country are in decline. Now, I understand causation and correlation are not the same, but that's interesting. Psychologists are now sounding the alarm when it comes to attachment issues. Many Americans have attachment issues, oftentimes because of this, or something that happened in their family or their childhood. And psychologists are starting to say it's becoming a, a real problem. Couples who cohabitate are less likely to get married, more likely to get divorced if they do. And the number of kids who are growing up without a father for part or most of their childhood is now up to 25%. I believe that's the highest it has ever been. Not to mention the little talked about effects that abortion can have on women in the future. Their physical, mental, emotional health. Not to mention that sexual assault is on the rise. Sexual abuse is on the rise. Sexual addictions on the rise. And you start to take a step back and go, well, wait a minute. Liberation starting to look a little bit more like bondage. What is the answer to this? Is it politics? No. Is it more programs? Probably not. Truth? Always truth. If you're here today and you're, you're not even sure what you believe about Jesus or about church or Christianity, but you still go, you know what? I, I'm the victim of some of those things you're talking about. I mean, I've experienced the pain of that in my life and I'm looking for something different. I would say to you, study and live the teachings of Jesus Christ. Go back to the gospels and start to study who this man Jesus is. And say, you know what, for a while, I'm going to stop listening to all these voices in the world, and I'm going to go back and say, Jesus, what do you say about this? What is truth? I think what you're going to find is Jesus is truth, and here's what the truth is going to do. The truth is going to set 
you free. What is truth? Jesus is truth, and the Bible is truth. Now, people who are skeptical, like, they're like, oh, Jesus, yeah, maybe, but the Bible, I'm not so sure about that. But the Bible is truth. Things get lost in translation all the time, don't they? This was illustrated in my all-time favorite commercial. Take a look at this. Das hier ist mein Sektor. Das hier ist das wichtigste Gerät des Küstenwächters. Das Gerät und das Gerät. Überlebensradar. It was a commercial in Europe for learning English. It was a class on learning English. And it's the all-time best commercial anybody's ever come up with. But it illustrates this truth that sometimes things can get lost in translation. And so people believe that about the Bible. They're like, well, the Bible was written 2,000 or more years ago. And you picture some scribe dipping his quill in ink. And he's writing this out. He doesn't know English. He's writing in Hebrew or Greek. And you're telling me when I order a Bible off of Amazon that it's the original? It's, it's what the Bible really says? I mean, how do I know that he didn't cross some things out when nobody was looking? How do I know he didn't add some things? How do I know he didn't just get distracted and, and misalign? Well, Bruce Metzger from Princeton University is the world's foremost expert on these issues. He says there's two criteria that historians look for. He says, first of all, how many copies do you have? Because the more copies you have, the more you can compare them to one another. So if this one over here says one thing and all the rest of them say this, you're like, well, this is probably what the original said. And then he said the second criteria is how close are the copies to the original? With that in mind, how does the New Testament stack up? Well, we have 24,000 copies, ancient copies of the New Testament. Not even talking about the Old Testament, just the New Testament, 24,000 copies. That's more than any other book in history. Number two on the list is Homer's Iliad, and we only have 600 copies of that. 24,000 New Testament, 600 for Homer's Iliad. And the copies we have of Homer's Iliad are hundreds of years later. We have fragments of the Greek New Testament that are 50 years after the original. That's why Bruce Metzger says the Bible you hold in your hand is 99.9% pure, meaning it, it, it is the original. Now you might say, well, yeah, okay, like Jesus, I follow the teachings of Jesus, the red letters in my Bible. What about this guy, Paul? I mean, Paul wrote a bunch of letters that are in the New Testament. How do I know that's truth? How do I know the Old Testament is truth? Well, Peter, who was Jesus' closest follower and friend, he said this about Paul's letters. He said, some have twisted his letters around to mean something quite different from what he meant. Let me just pause here for a moment, because Peter wrote those words 2,000 years ago. And as we stand here today in 2023, people are still doing this. They are still taking the words of Paul and twisting them around to mean something that he never intended for it to mean. Here's a phrase that should send warning bells going off in your mind. And here's the phrase, you can interpret the Bible however you want. I mean, you, you hear that, you should have alarms going off in your mind. 
Because we don't treat any other writing that way. You don't get the assembly instructions for your vacuum cleaner and go, interpret these things however you want. Just go give me some duct tape. I mean, some of you do do that, but it doesn't go very well for you. You don't look at the owner's manual for your car and it says push the ignition button to start the car. You don't go, ah, you can interpret those things however you want. I'm just going to let some air out of the tire, fire that thing right up. We, We don't do that. We understand that there's good interpretations and there's bad interpretations. Good interpretations are trying to understand what did the original author mean? Bad interpretations go to the Bible and go, well, here's what I think. Here's my opinion and here's my experience and here's my political agenda. So now I'm going to take what he's saying and try to twist it to mean what I wanted to say. There's good interpretations. There's bad interpretations. Peter says, well, people have been twisting Paul's letters for quite some time. And then he adds these words. He says, just as they do other parts of Scripture. He's saying the letters of Paul are on the same level with Jesus and the Old Testament. And this is coming from a man who was the closest to Jesus. When Jesus said these words, when he said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, he was referring to the Old Testament. Jesus believed the Old Testament was scripture. It was inspired by God. Notice the argument that I'm not making here. I'm not saying that the Bible is true because the Bible says it's true. That's a circular argument. What I'm saying is the Bible is true because Jesus and those closest to him believed that it was true. If you're a follower of Christ, hopefully that settles it. But if you're here today and you're like, I'm just a little bit skeptical still. Is there any reason else that I would believe that the Bible is true? There's many reasons. Let me just give you one. The Bible has archaeological support. If the Bible wasn't true, wouldn't you expect that we would find lots of archaeological discoveries that would contradict what the Bible says? With all the technology we have today and archaeology, like we would be finding things that contradict what the Bible says is true. In fact, the opposite is the case. Archaeology keeps confirming the Bible. Let me just give you one example of this. In the Gospel of John, John wrote about a place called the Pool of Bethesda. He said it was near the Sheep Gate, and there was five porticos, five columns on one side. And for years, people who were skeptical of the Bible, they would say, ah, we've we've done digging around Jerusalem. We have not found the Pool of Bethesda. And so whoever wrote John clearly wasn't familiar with the features of the city. Then in 1888, they were digging in a different part of Jerusalem, and they found the Pool of Bethesda with five porticos on one side, just as John said that there was. I could give you example after example like that. For years, scholars were skeptical of King David, said he didn't even exist. Then we found an inscription dated to that period, King David, oh, I guess he existed. For years, they pointed to the Gospel of Luke. They said, this Lysanias guy that Luke talks about, he wasn't the governor at that time. And then we find out, well, there's two Lysaniases based on some archaeological discoveries, and Luke was right. That's why Nelson Gluck, a leading archaeologist, has said this. He said, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever contradicted a single biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or exact detail historical statements in the Bible. That is not true of any other religious book. 
The Book of Mormon, which wrote about events that purportedly took place in the Americas between 600 B.C. and 400 A.D., but the Smithsonian Institute says that they have found no archaeological discoveries to confirm that. In other words, not a single Book of Mormon person, place, or thing, not a single Book of Mormon city, artifact, or anything, inscription, has ever been found. The Bible is not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. The Bible is historical truth. What is truth? Well, Jesus is truth. The Bible is truth. And here's what I believe with all my heart. Seek the truth and you will find the truth. I grew up uh, when there was no internet. I mean, oh, how old are you? There's no internet, which is why I'm kind of a late adapter when it comes to technology. There's just certain things that I I don't use. For example, I, I never used DoorDash. Never used it in my life. Which is why I was really interested to read an article about a kid named Barrett Golden who ordered 31 cheeseburgers from McDonald's using DoorDash. And you may say, well, you know, my, my son, my daughter, they, they order stuff on DoorDash all the time. Barrett is two years old. <laughs> His mom was doing some work. She saw Barrett using the phone. She thought he was scrolling through some pictures or something. And pretty soon the doorbell rang and there was... 31 cheeseburgers from McDonald's. This cost over $90. And then Barrett thoughtfully tipped $16. He's in diapers. I mean, all this illustrates we're pretty comfortable searching online. I mean, if I were to ask you, hey, could you find this for me online? You'd be like, oh, Google it, go on DuckDuckGo, YouTube, App Store. I mean, we we would find it. But let me ask you, how comfortable are you finding something in the Bible? How comfortable are you searching for something in the Bible? In Acts chapter 17, Paul went to a city called Berea, and he was teaching about Jesus, and it says the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. Now, Paul got beat in Thessalonica and kicked out of the city, so the bar wasn't super high here. But it says they were more open-minded than that, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. It says they searched the scriptures day after day to check up on Paul and Silas to see if they were really teaching the truth. It says that the Bereans were open-minded, but being open-minded didn't mean that they accepted everything as true. It meant that they would listen to ideas, they would take in differing thoughts, but then they would go back to the scriptures and say, is what you're saying actually true? What if we search the scriptures? What if instead of saying, well, my, you know, my favorite celebrity or speaker or politician, they, they said this, what if we said, no, wait a minute, I'm, I'm going to actually go back and see, is, is that taught in the Bible? I mean, I hope you don't come to Eagle Brook and go, well, Eagle Brook said... I mean, I hope you're like, no, no, no. I want to compare what you're saying back to Scripture. I want to know that what you're saying is actually true, that it's actually taught in the Bible. What is it that you're struggling with in life right now? And what if you search the Scriptures about that issue or that struggle? I know people who are struggling in their marriage, and they said, I went to... Google or Bible Gateway or Version, and I typed in marriage. Bible verses on marriage. 
godly husband, godly wife, what does the Bible say? And they said, I just started taking notes. I started writing down, well, here's what the Bible says about being a godly husband. And here's what the Bible says about being a godly wife. And, and here's what the Bible says about the foundation of marriage. And I started to, to, to do it. And they got set free. And I know people who said, you know what? I, I was struggling with my anger and I started to search and I started to read the scriptures and I wrote down, like, here's what the Bible says about anger and where it comes from and how to overcome it. And, and they began to be set free. What if we searched scripture? My daughter, Anna, is four years old and she has the cutest curls in her hair. They just kind of bounce when she runs and people say to us all the time, they stop us and they're like, oh, I like your curls. But a couple weeks ago, she was watching a princess movie and the princess had long, straight hair. And when the movie was over, she turned it off and she looked at us and said, I don't like my curls. I don't like my curly hair. I want long, straight hair. And I thought, huh, interesting how influenced we are by the things we see. But then I thought, is that true? Would she be happier if she had long, straight hair? No. Would she be more beautiful if she had long, straight hair? No. The truth that she needs to hear from God's word is that she is fearfully and wonderfully made. That she was knit together in her mother's womb by God. And she is beautiful the way that she is. And it got me thinking, I wonder if there's lies that we believe. Lies that we believe about our looks. Lies that you believe about your personality or about God. And you start to think, well, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. I, I don't have what it takes. I, I'm not good at anything. What if this week you wrote down a lie that you have been believing? If you could give some thought and identify one lie that you've been believing over the last six months and you wrote it down on a note card or on your phone. And then you searched the scriptures and you found a verse that speaks the truth to that lie. And you wrote that verse down on the note card or on your phone. And then you picked a specific time getting in the car to go to work or right when you wake up in the morning and you just looked at that card or looked at your phone. And you said to God, God, I am not going to walk in this lie. I am going to walk in the truth. And here's what I believe would happen. When you seek the truth, you will find the truth and the truth will set you free. Let's pray together at all of our campuses. God, there are many of us who have a lie that has somehow wormed its way into our heart and into our mind and into our life, and it is affecting us. We maybe don't even think about it or realize it or are cognizant of it all the time, but, but God, it is, it is hurting us. Lord, I pray for your truth. I pray for the truth of your word that would overcome that lie in our life and would set us free, God. Would you speak to each and every one of us, Lord, about a lie that we've been believing and how the truth, the truth of your son, Jesus Christ, the truth of your word can set us free. 
Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. God, I thank you that you sent your son to be the embodiment of truth, that his teaching is true. God, sometimes we get so caught up in following the ways of this world, we need to come back to you, God, and come back to the truth of who Jesus is. God, if there's an area of our life where we need to do that, I pray that you would guide us. Jesus, you are the truth. And it is your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer for anything at all, come on down front at your campus. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, we'll see you next weekend.